Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Well, we'll see if tomorrow's home game against the Florida Panthers has as much juice as Saturday's game at TD Garden between the Leafs and Boston Bruins. I'm thinking not, although the Panthers should be desperate right now, but yeah. I, I I think probably not. Let's talk to uh, Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter, who was in Boston uh, on the weekend. How's it going, Luke? It's going well. Yeah, happy to be back in the city. But uh, that was probably my favorite Maple Leafs game this season. That one had a lot of juice. It was a blast to, to be in the building for that one. Yeah, were you surprised that it had so much juice? Like, here, truth be told, like, everybody knows that the Bruins are going to win the Atlantic and – Leafs are either going to have uh, home ice in Game 7 or not, but they're going to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. But that felt like it mattered. Were you surprised? I wasn't too surprised just because there was uh, a feeling in the air and just talking to the players uh, before the game, uh, hearing the quotes from the other side. Actually, Jim Montgomery had a great quote. He's like, I, didn't, he's like, I knew this game meant something to our players, but I didn't really realize until after the game started, how much it meant to the Bruins. Because you get why it would mean something to the Leafs. They're in second place. They're trying to see if there's some possible way to make up ground. They obviously have a long playoff history and want to prove themselves against the best team in the league. But Boston, on the other hand, is kind of in cruise control. Uh, They have such a huge lead on the rest of the pack and and seem to be on their way to a, a president's trophy. But they have not lost two in a row. And they were at risk of doing that against Toronto. And they got shut out by the Kraken on home ice. It was their first time losing at TV Garden since April. Uh, and that room has so much pride. And the fact that I think another legitimate team was coming into town, they got just as up for it as the Maple Leafs did. And it was just fantastic hockey. Like physical, star players showing up. Goalie making great saves back and forth. The lead is exchanging hands and it comes down to a goal in the final two minutes. It was, it was a blast and the crowd was really into it. When you look at that Bruins team and how they have been able to manage, you know, foot on the gas kind of night to night, even though, yeah, and the standings next to nothing matters for them from here. Um, you know, that's something that we've seen from that group for the better part of two decades now in the Bergeron era with, with the odd exception. With the Leafs, that's something that we haven't necessarily seen. And I don't think anyone really cares about that because, you know, this team's been in prove it in the playoffs mode for so long. But do you think that there's an element of like having that kind of makeup that the Bruins have where they are always on and there is such an element of pride game to game? Like, is that something the Leafs can learn from or or take from or even just find the switch for in the playoffs? Or is that... You know, is that something that's going to be unique to each team's identity? Well, the Bruins set the bar in terms of that identity. Absolutely. I mean, they're kind of the class of the league. And I, I think it takes it takes years to, to develop, right? Um, the, the fact that they have had that, that core, it started with, with Chara, but it's been passed down to Bergeron and Marshawn. Uh, and, and trickled down, it's kind of passed on from generation to generation of Bruins, uh, that it's kind of instilled in the room. And Montgomery has said, like, he can't get over the culture there and ha- kind of how the room sort of runs itself at this point, which is really remarkable. Uh, and I think the Leafs are getting there. You know, I, I wouldn't put them, you know, on the same level as the Bruins in terms of uh, the leadership or, you know, just how 
you know, the room kind of runs itself. But they have come a long way from, from where they were. Yeah, they, they got respect in the handshake line, if you'll recall, <laughs> after Game 7. That was, that's, yeah, that's why the Bruins took them seriously on Saturday because that's a, that's a team you must respect when you're beating them in a postseason series and you're shaking hands afterwards. All right, uh, Austin Matthews returns and he scores a spectacular goal that, that ties the game in the third period after missing a couple with this undisclosed injury. Like, now that the wheels are spinning, right, Luke? Because this is, it's not like, uh, it, there's tons of players in the National Hockey League that would take Austin Matthews' numbers right now and certainly by the end of the season. But this is a guy that scored 60 a season ago. Is it now reasonable to believe that whatever injury is hampering him is part of the reason we've seen a dip in scoring? That would be, I think, a fair assumption to make. Uh, you know, they're, they're being very secretive with the exact nature of the the injury, but it has been something that's been nagging on uh, him on and off for quite a while now. To, to the eye, it seems like his shot just isn't quite the same. And then if you look at the numbers, he's converting his shot at a, a career low rate. Um, and, you know, he still has nice hands. He's, he's making plays. That was an incredible geek that he made um, on Linus Allmark last game. But we haven't seen the trademark, like, pull and snap and beat goalies clean as often as we're accustomed to. Uh, so you have to wonder if that's it. I mean, I asked Sheldon Keith if the injury is, is something that's bugging his shot. And basically he said, I don't want to answer any questions about that. So, you know, by him avoiding that, it opens the door for, for speculation. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's also probably at least a little bit of an answer. Uh, like if it was something completely unrelated to that. You're I feel crazy. Like, Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Although, like, it's also there's half a season left and they probably don't want to target anything, like let anyone target anything. <laughs> um, I, I guess, Luke, in terms of, what the next half of this season looks like for Austin Matthews. Like, would you expect them to continue? Like if this has been a lingering thing, he missed the two games. Is this something we're going to see maintenance days for moving forward? Is it something we'd now expect to be behind him? Is it something that is going to need to be addressed in the off season, but he can play through now? Like I, I know that we don't have a lot of details in general, but it does seem like, I don't know the more he plays through it, but they keep talking about it like a thing. I think that that hints more to the severity of it as well. Well, yeah. I mean, what we know is that supposedly it's not something serious. I think if it needed, you know, a a surgery or something like that, then he wouldn't be, be playing. It's something he can manage, but he, you know, admitted that it's something that him and the medical team are going to have to stay on top of Mm -hmm. this season. So whether that means taking the odd practice off, whether it means just, you know, monitoring it, getting rest when you can. You know, today he said, like, uh, as I've grown in my career, I really understand the value of rest days. Now, I think if he's good to go, he's a competitor, he's going to want to be in. But they're going to be smart about this. And you want him as close to 100% as possible for game 83. Yeah, rest, rest days are sweet. I had a bunch of them <laughs> recently. They're really good. Um, yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. Although I was sharing a double bed with my seven-year-old, so that wasn't as restful as I would have liked, but yeah, it's all right. Uh, all right, so what's going on with Morgan Riley since he's returned? Uh, seven of the nine games, he's at a sub-50% expected goals four percentage. He and Connor Timmins didn't work at all on Saturday, and I guess you could say, well, all right, not everybody works together, but it really does feel like without TJ Brody, it's it's been difficult to find him 
uh, reliable partner, which is kind of tough for a guy making $7.5 million against the cap that you should probably have more options to play him with. What's going on here? Yep. Uh, well, he's not he's not back to the usual Morgan Riley. And, you know, you, he, of course, isn't using this as an excuse, and he's saying he feels fine and everything's good, but his rhythm isn't there, his playmaking isn't quite there. He's, he's a little out of sorts coming back from this knee injury, um, you know. And the fact that they, TJ, like you mentioned, TJ Brody's out of the lineup, um, they're saying about two weeks since he first left, with that rib injury now, uh, you know, he's always thrived when he's had a, a safe partner, even going back to the, the Ron Hainsey days. But everybody but he, plays well with TJ Brody, right? Like he's the fixer does. for everybody. You're right. You're right. He is. He's the fixer. You're right. Whoever's struggling, put him with TJ Brody and, and he suddenly looks better. And I think this stretch without Brody and Riley trying to carry a Timmins who, you know, doesn't even have a hundred games in the NHL yet. Uh, shows that that's not the type of defenseman he is. He is an offensive play driver, hop in the rush, hopefully make something happen offensively, a brilliant skater. But, you know, when you're getting matched up against the top lines of a powerhouse like Boston, then your defense gets exposed a little bit. And that's the that's why it's important that, that TJ Brody's healthy. And it's also important, in my mind, that if Jake Muzzin isn't good to go and, you know, it's very doubtful at this point that he is, that you address that type of defenseman before March 3rd and the trade deadline. I know he's the highest paid defenseman and he wears a letter and everything. Like, is there is there a, a, um, a way you could massage it, massage it that he could, you could deploy him a little bit differently? I, I know he kind of sort of lost his job on power play one, but like, could you maybe not deploy him against the, the other team's top line? Yeah, well, it's easier to do on home ice than when you're in TD Garden, right? Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's what they do. I think often when they have last change, whether it's Giordano and Hall or before it was Muzzin and Hall, or they, they have tried to get him away from the, the toughest defensive responsibilities. He's not on the top penalty-killing unit. They, they know what his strengths are, and they try to, to play to those. Uh, but when you don't have last change and you're dealing with some injuries to some real true defensive type defenseman on your roster, this is what happens. So Connor Timmons, new guy, coughs it up. Morgan Riley had a cough up. And, you know, that he owned it. He, he, you know, said that that's on him. Uh, but the team also has to play better defensively. Like on the final goal, John Tavares made a, made a critical error. It, like you, you can't give a team like the Boston Bruins – Good looks. They'll make you pay. If those happen against the Arizona Coyotes or, or whoever, a, a lower team, maybe you know the goalie makes a save because you don't have the finisher at the other end. But against a team like the Bruins or like the Tampa Bay Lightning or, or some of the really good teams you're going to face, you got you got really high-skilled forwards that will make you pay for, for one mistake. So the other thing, the other side of the Riley thing is if we're talking about, you know, what he maybe takes off the table or what you have to manage around, you know, a lot of times that will be deemed worth it if the other stuff is coming, if the the stuff he brings to the table is great. Uh, The Leafs power play, though, ninth on the season, even since the the turn of the calendar, it's kind of just hummed along at league average or so. Um, What are you seeing there? And, you know, would you expect Riley to find his comfort level maybe there sooner than he does in his own end? 
yeah, I mean, that that's his strength. That's where you would like him to, to get going. And I think it's not a bad move. I mean, they, they've gone with the five forward look um, and it's paid off at, at times. But I think in order for to get Riley feeling more confident and more involved, I, I would like to see him back on PP1 just to get him going a little bit. I mean, this is an offensive defenseman who doesn't have a goal yet this season. Uh, and, and, you know, he would never say it because he doesn't like talking about his, his individual performance. It's always about the team when you talk to him. But in order to feel part of that team, mm. you've got to feel like you're contributing, especially when you just signed a monster ticket like he did. I'm sure it's weighing on him a little bit that his offensive contributions aren't up a little bit. Everything, little, everything like that helps. The good news is, I guess we got, you know, we got quite a bit of runway here before the games matter, and hopefully he can get back on track. He has been excellent in every playoff series, and it's kind of not been talked about because they lose all those series. Mm-hmm. But Morgan Riley has elevated his game when the games matter most, and I would expect the same. I, I do think a lot of this has to do with some tentative play um, coming back from this knee injury. No, his handshake, they say, is the best in those <laughs> handshake lines. You're really... savage with <laughs> these guys. <laughs> Sorry. All right, uh, before I let you go, the news of the day, uh, poor Nick Robertson, who yeah. like, is just like surrounded by a black uh, cloud now, out for the season, had shoulder surgery or is having it. He's going to be out six months. I mean, he's only 21 years old, but we have. he's also had like an increasingly large sample, at, larger sample at the National Hockey League level, and... The scoring hasn't looked like it has in the AHL and certainly not like the OHL. Uh, where Where is this organization with Nick Robertson now that we're not going to see him again this season? Yeah, it's tough, right? Like, they, they had high hopes for him. Like, there was a real opportunity, if he could do it, to take that, you know, top six left-wing spot. He was given a, a real opportunity, and that's when the shoulder injury happened. They tried to rehab it and avoid surgery, uh, you know, it got to the point where it ended up that season-ending shoulder surgery is the best option. And your, your heart breaks for the kid, whether it was getting him to develop and be a meaningful player for the Leafs, which is their original intention, or, you know, the secondarily, you know, get this guy an NHL career, even if it was somewhere else. But now he can't even be a trade ship uh, if he was going to be that. And uh, so the guys drafted in, in 2019 – Basically, this is four seasons. He will have played 82 games total, 31 for the Leafs and and 51 for the Marlies. This is a prospect that needs playing time. And whether it was, you know, the pandemic played a role in it, but the multiple injuries have really sapped from his development time. And a guy that really wants it so bad, puts in so much work in the gym. He's like hockey obsessive. He wants this so bad. Uh, your heart breaks for him a little bit. The fact that he's just had horrible luck with injuries and seems to be quite a bit um, set back in terms of his development. He needs games, whether that's AHL or wherever, Um, but he's a determined kid and I expect he'll be right there trying to get his career back on track in the fall. Luke, uh, I have one for you. Just on a, a sillier and more positive note, I'm a little late to this, but we didn't have you on the show when I was on last week. You profiled Freddie Gibbs, very recently. I, I know over at XXL, I know this is not a hockey question, uh, but man, how cool was that for you? I know you're a big music guy, but your day-to-day is hockey. Uh, how fun was it to dabble back in music writing and go deep with Freddie Gibbs? Yeah, it was a, it was a blast. Every once in a while, I like to 
exercise my my old music journalism background um before i started at sportsnet i actually worked for a hip-hop magazine called pound uh it's no longer active but there was a time it was the number one hip-hop magazine in canada not that there's many of them but i got to interview a lot of rappers got you know sat down with jay-z and kanye west and Nas and and some of my my heroes at the time so it was kind of cool to, to get back and, and dabble in that realm of writing. Well, I enjoyed reading it. Uh, J.D. Bunkus and I were at the Freddie Gibbs show when he was here at the Danforth. Uh, oh, or, nice. Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed that one. I'm sure J.D. did as well. Uh, keep up the great work, man. Okay, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. See ya. There's Luke Fox Jukebox, which is his Twitter handle. That's right. And uh, rightly so. Just great, great Twitter handle for a man who likes his music. Um. So Morgan Riley takes a lot of slings and arrows. I think rightly so. I got, I would I would say that if you're making seven and a half million dollars against the cap, that you should be able to play with with more than like one guy who again makes everybody better. And TJ Bro, uh, TJ Brody, like who can't play with? I could probably no, I couldn't. But like yeah, anybody could play with TJ Brody. That's the whole TJ Brody deal. So maybe he should be making the seven and a half million bucks. I understand that Morgan Riley's, yeah, he's he's got a role, and it's not necessarily to play lockdown defense, especially like one-on-one rushes. But man, don't be unplayably bad defensively. Also, yeah, do him a favor and don't play him with another guy with the same strengths and weaknesses in Connor Timmons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's entirely fair to be critical of the way Riley is playing. Defensively, it's not. It hasn't been a, a secret over the years that he needs to be sharper in his own end to live up to that contract. It's also not a secret that he's really good at the things he's really good at, and he is a. You know, there's a world of gray area between he's terrible and mm. hey, living up to a eight year t- by seven and a half million dollar contract is a really high bar and. You know, he he has to sharpen up some areas of his game to get there. So, um, yeah, I think the strengths coming along, like the power play stuff and, and the puck moving, that's probably more important to where the Leafs need to go eventually. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a ton of Morgan Riley playing shutdown minutes in the postseason, at least when the Leafs are at home. But, yeah, you're going to need him to be a top pair caliber guy. Like, there's no way around it. You're not bringing in another top pair caliber guy. TJ Brody can only play with one other person. Um, there's a small sample of Riley and Liljegren being okay together, but Liljegren and Sandine, like that's the pair. You're not breaking that up. So no. I don't, I don't know. It, it's on him and I'm sure he's aware of it. Like I'm sure he knows when he, you know, messes up a, an opposing team's own entry or something like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. He he's, took a full of responsibility. The, yeah, he's watching the <laughs> film and stuff. I'm sure he wants to be better at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is kind of the thing with being with having the A on your chest and making seven and a half million is the expectation level and the bar that you're being evaluated on goes up significantly. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is fair. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh last thing on the Leafs. Yeah, so Austin Matthews obviously dealing with something, right? Like not totally insignificant and, and everybody being coy with it. If it, it was truly nothing, maybe we'd be told what the nothing was because it's nothing, right? Like what, what does it matter if you tell us about the nothing, but they're not telling us about the nothing. It's also a nothing that, well, it's keeping him out of the lineup and it's been a lingering nothing. It's a, it's a nothing he couldn't play through, but it's nothing that... It's also a nothing that won't bother him down the stretch or into the playoffs. Like, and, and what I was trying to bait out of Luke there was like, if this were 
you know, I've, we've seen this in basketball before. I'm sure there are hockey examples as well, but um, to lean on the basketball examples, like a guy dealing with something where he's, you know, day to day for a good chunk of the season or questionable a lot of the time. And then, yeah, at the end of the season, he undergoes surgery for yeah. that thing. Like, would it entirely shock anyone if there was, you know, was say, the wrist again or the wrist again or a partial labral tear that he can play through in his pain management or something like that? Like, I don't know. And, and I'd be looking. I know hockey doesn't do load management in the way that basketball does, but I do wonder with the Leafs having, first of all, this a, is it. Yeah. a lighter schedule the rest of the way. Like they have played more games than most teams. They've got nine over the next three weeks heading into the, the all-star break. Like I do wonder if he sees another maintenance day or two just to try to make sure whatever it is he's dealing with can't get worse. Well, if there is a, a certain amount of time, whether it's two weeks, whether it's a month, that you could sit him out of games and you'd be fairly certain that this nothing would in fact truly be nothing they should be doing that because these yes. games don't matter they, do, they don't matter sorry i don't know it's tomorrow's game on sportsnet it matters <laughs> when it's on sportsnet but if it's not on sportsnet it doesn't matter okay nothing matters for the toronto maple leafs during the regular season other than being at full health and being in the correct position come playoff time and that involves getting Austin Matthews back to a 60 goal self if that's at all possible but if it's not then I I guess keep rolling along given the number of players who have scored 60 goals in the history of the NHL I don't know that that's entirely realistic but yeah you need him to be as as crazy as this sounds given where he like you need him to be better than a 40 goal 95 point pace guy if you're going to make a deep playoff run Again, that's the bar that the stars on this team have set for themselves and are you know going to be measured against. So, yeah. um, although, look, if he's a, at a 95-point pace, he should be able to win still. Um, yeah, well, this, especially if he's playing the defense that he has, the 200-foot yeah, game. And, and the face-off played. stuff doesn't drop off. You know, yeah. that would almost be probably my one of my bigger concerns if it is a, a wrist or shoulder thing is the face-off caliber because they rely on him so much for that, but... Especially, ugh, you look ahead to a Boston series, and Patrice Bergeron has won like a hundred percent of faceoffs in his entire career. It feels like, yeah. Well, and yeah, you want to talk about a guy who, at the end of the season, is having surgeries on like punctured lungs and stuff. Yeah, it's Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, he's probably going to. I, I assume at this point he just lives in a hyperbaric chamber between games. <laughs> we all should. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, we got to hit on some more Raptors thoughts. After they win in overtime, their first overtime victory this season, they were 0-3 going into mm-hmm. this game because, you know, it's a, a lot of minutes to put on a team during the regulation 48, and then you throw five more on top of that. It's hard for this Look, team, but the Knicks are also that team. That what play. are you talking about? No one even played more than 46 <laughs> minutes in this game. So, Brad had a rough night They shooting. played seven players. Like, they, they didn't actually play seven players, but Hernan Gomez and Malachi Flynn combined for nine minutes. Yeah. So, the, other the, the real, starters combined for what, 101 points? Yeah, all of the points except for 16. <laughs> so, 107. Okay. Anyways, we'll get to that. Uh, as the tank uh, hits a bump in the road. And uh, Blue Jays. You know, there was some international signing news. I haven't talked to you. Um, yeah, you don't need to tee it up as anything other than we haven't been on the show together in a while. And we got some Jays stuff to catch up on. Absolutely. All right, that's coming up next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, it feels good to be back. Honestly, it does. It's good to take vacation. Everyone should do it if you can. But it's good to be back. Seven days is a long time to be away. 
Fan Drive Time, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Um, all right, let's expand a little bit on that Raptors game that we side-eye watched. Um, where Fred I don't Van- know if I would say that. We watched three quarters of it. Then we had to come on the air. Yes, the and ending you, was the you did your job while I kept hitting the mute button and reacting to the game. Uh, so, yeah, um, they won it in overtime, playing a trillion minutes. And, uh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet didn't have a great day shooting. What? Uh, the sure three, at least. Five of 13 from three. That's 40%. All right. Uh, but he also committed a foul at the end of the game in yeah. which he thought that the Raptors were trailing. They weren't. It was a tie game. Um, and the the Raptors, oh, it was Jalen Brunson ended up splitting the pair of free throws. So mm-hmm. the, the Knicks took a lead. Raptors retook the lead. We talked about what happened at the end of regulation. And then Raptors win it in overtime. Another good game for Scotty Barnes, though. Mm-hmm. Eight of 16. A nine of 13 from the stripe, Blake. And we can get into the tanking of it all in just a second. But to me, as far as what we see on the court, all the thing, I, the only thing that matters to me is Scotty Barnes' development. Now, I guess I could say that Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr.'s play is impactful because that could impact their trade market. And I think both guys are probably headed out of town here before uh, the the trade deadline, but... I feel more certain about one than the other. Okay, well, uh, to me, yeah, this Scotty Barnes development is the the thing that you most needed because we all know Pascal Siakam's real good. We don't need to see it. We don't need to see anything from OG Ananobi's real good defender and pretty good shooting the three. Yeah, awful game today offensively, and then he hits the two biggest threes of the game in overtime. Yeah, okay. So, cool. Well, yeah. Good good, good stuff. <laughs> and, his, and his defense basically, him and Pascal were just unbelievable defensively in the fourth quarter. Like, like that comeback was largely defense-fueled and... Yeah, those two guys. Like well, the, this team the should be defense-fueled, which is, I think, the most frustrating aspect yes. of the entire season for the Toronto Raptors. It's not the half-court scoring we knew it would it's suck. It's certainly the most frustrating part for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's bad. Okay, uh, so the, to your Scotty Barnes yes. point, though, yes. I will lay it out like this. Whether you are pro-tank, anti-tank, pro-win-now, anti-win-now, however you want to chop it up, rebuild versus retool, whatever. Let's say you want the Raptors to be as good as possible immediately. Well, the most important thing for that is that Scotty Barnes is playing like this. Because, look, we entered this season. The roster was almost exactly the same. Yes, you can say Otto Porter not playing is something that, like, that hurts. You expected him to be in your rotation. He's a 3 and D guy, whatever. You also didn't really expect Christian Coloco to be able to contribute right away. And mm. uh, he didn't play today, but he has for the most part. Mostly, this is the same team that was 148 games last year was the top 10 defense. If you were projecting this team to take a step forward, a large part of that was Scotty Barnes's improvement. Mm-hmm. So if you want this team to be good now, if you think they can catch the Knicks, if you think they can get into seventh or eighth and win a play in series. That's not why I want Scotty Barnes to be good. This is path one. <laughs> this okay. is side one. The most important thing to this Raptors team reaching another level, because we know who the rest of the guys are, is Scotty Barnes continuing to grow like this. Now, if you are team... This season doesn't matter. Let's do what we have to do to put ourselves in a better position for next year. Well, guess what? The most important thing the rest of the season is that Scotty Barnes's development mm-hmm. and continuing to see what, how his role can expand to what point it can expand in what ways it should expand where earlier in the year. Yeah. That was a lot of Barnes facing up and empowering him to 
you know, initiate the offense like a, a traditional player. And then lately it's been more as a screener, more as a kind of, Hey, the play is going to break down and you are, you see the game develop two steps ahead of everyone else. So when things get kind of chaotic, you're even more valuable. We saw tonight in the late in the fourth quarter and overtime, a lot of Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, three man action where you have three guys who could handle, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet still kind of weirdly their best screener. So you've got a couple guys who can screen and that's a really hard thing to guard when the the three of those guys are are clicking together. So whether you want them to be good, whether you want them to be bad in the short term, Scotty Barnes is the headline item. Well, I mean, no, if you really did want them to be at their worst, then you would. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) if you thought he could bounce back, no, because if you thought he could bounce back from a bad end of the season, because this is the thing. And this is why the, the term tank doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense for them. It's because there is a real, there is a cost to tanking in the way we traditionally mean the term tanking that the Raptors aren't going to be willing to swallow. And that means shutting a Scotty Barnes down Mm. if he's playing well, because he's going to win you too many games. You're absolutely not doing that. Scotty Barnes's on-court development is too important. You know, you can get into OG and Pascal, like they're not going to want to shut, get shut down either because both of them are a year from potential free agency. and, And you just like, OG in particular, you, you want to see him continue to expand his role and stuff. There is not, there's a real cost to tanking this year that wasn't there in the Tampa season. Well, they're doing it pretty naturally, right? Like yes. despite today and a couple of games against Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. So they stink. Yes. But if, oh, you we're, said yes, yes. if we're talking, well, I just, I don't think they're very good. I had no. a Twitter thread before the game today that, yeah, they grade as average by most metrics. But if you take out garbage time stuff, if you take out the fact that they have a net rating of like plus 30 almost mm. in low leverage situations, then they're basically a sub 500 team based on merit. Now, after today, they probably come out somewhere close to you know, they should be around 22 and 22. Who cares? That, Whatever. That's, no one came into this season with eyes on the Raptors being 41 and 41. No. The larger point is this group, this year at least, does not have the upward mobility we thought they might have and that this team hoped they might have. So the difficult decisions that follow should have pretty little to do with this year. Yes. And the Raptors, despite the fact that they're very close to the playing game, they're also very close to where they finished in the Tampa tank seat. They're like a half game up on the Lakers for the seventh worst record in the NBA, which is exactly where they finished when they won a a lottery ball to jump into the fourth position, selected the uh, upcoming NBA rookie of the year. Those reverse standings are also insanely close. So there are a couple teams that have pulled away. Like you, you might not be able to like the race to the bottom. You probably can't get into the bottom five at this point, but that's fine. Exactly. And and like the Terrence Ross year should stick out to everyone. That's the year where famously lockout short season, final day of the season, Ben Uzo triple double Raptors beat the Nets instead of picking six and potentially having Damian Lillard. They end up picking eighth. They get Terrence Ross. Now, had you got Damian Lillard, you probably don't trade a, a pick for Kyle Lowry. So you don't win the championship down that path. But also that pick that you traded for Kyle Lowry could have been Giannis. This is a monster butterfly yes. effect, but this, you, that you, is so, okay. Here, here's the what, difference I'm going to spots is big. Yeah. They should have, I mean, you can't engineer it this way, but the Raptors fans should have been rooting for the Raptors to lose this game. And I I don't wish that were the case. Like, North American pro sports are horrible in this one aspect. All of it. It's all wrong. It incentivizes losing. It doesn't reward smart decision-making. 
This is the world we live in in North American pro sports. Raptors would have been better served to lose this this basketball game. That's just the way it is. Sure. It, it, they would be better served to lose a basketball game if your ultimate goal is maximize the percentage chance of a championship at some point in the next it, X years. Which, it, why sure. wouldn't it be that? Well, some people consume sports differently and just want to watch oh, entertaining sh- okay. basketball and stuff. Like, I, I, do, like do you that think we're talking to those fun. people? Do, like, do, uh, do those people, are they like rabid consumers of sports talk radio? I, I don't I, know. I don't know who <laughs> listens to us. <laughs> I would just say, that's fine. Like, of course that's fine. Yeah. If you just want to see your basketball team win a basketball game, that's, yeah. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about people <laughs> sure. who are like longer term thinkers yes. like, and, like, and, and, and die in the wall Raptors fans. So when I tweeted that thread earlier about some of the garbage time stats and where the Raptors end up, um, I started talking to an Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, I think it was a, a Thunder blogger, um, that was like, hey, this is the Thunder's profile similarly. And I was like, you know what? That's great for the Thunder. They've been tanking for a long time. They're a young team on the come up. You don't want to win too many games, but being competitive in all yeah. these games and having that DNA of not dying at the end of games and always fighting. And, and you know, I, I've said this all the time that, like, the step you have to take on the way, this was the Orioles talking point last year. The step most teams have to take on the way to being good is being annoying first. Mm-hmm. The Thunder are there. <laughs> yeah, That's sure. great. The Raptors are supposed to be past that. No, they're annoying because they win overtime games against the Knicks that they should lose so that they can drop into the seventh spot in the reverse standings. Yes. And look, I'm not telling anyone how to be a fan. If some, if people, if people wanted the I'm Raptors to try either. to, I'm not saying you are. Oh, okay. Man, some some days it's obvious that you worked with JD for a long time. Um, let me make my point. It's just that you can feel like this team can find a better gear and make up the four and a half games, say, to catch the Knicks and avoid the play-in or get to a high play-in game and host a play-in game, and that'll be fun, whatever. You can make the case that they should bottom out and try to get to you know sixth in the lottery standings or whatever because any percentage chance at Wemby, at Scoot, I was watching some Scoot film on the weekend. Mm. My goodness. Like, he is really, like, he might be the best point guard prospect since Chris Paul. He's not 7'5", though, or whatever. No, Wemby but is. I'm saying he's the number two prize. The yeah, lottery isn't just for the number, number one pick. Yep. So, and it wasn't you, last year or two years ago for, for the number one either. It was the number four. Yes. So, you can feel either of those way and make either of those arguments. The worst thing possible, though, the only bad answer and the only bad outcome is what the Raptors have done lately where they just win half the games yeah. and they keep beating bad teams in close games and losing to good teams. And then you're, you end up like I, I, I said this in exact words to a friend earlier over text. You could want the sixth seed. You could want the six lottery odds. Anywhere in between there is the stuff you don't want, and that's where the Raptors seem to be trending more and more. It's the yeah, they, they are. They're trending in that direction, but they are, as you mentioned, like very close to the traffic jam that is the bottom seven of the reverse standings. And this is like recently, like pretty healthy and trying their best to win basketball games by playing mm-hmm. the starters forty plus minutes. What happened? And I, I know no teams separated by two games yeah. around them in those lottery states. Some of those teams are trying to win still. Yeah, so you might. You know, this is the thing: is like the NBA schedule. We know Houston, Detroit, and Charlotte are really bad. I think the Lakers are trying to win. <laughs> Yeah. Which is the team that you're you're at. But like Phoenix is in that mix, Minnesota's yeah. in that mix, Portland's in that mix. All those teams want to make the playoffs. The Bulls probably still want to make the playoffs too, even though they probably shouldn't. Um, well, that that's a roll of dice for them because they, they only control their pick if they draft top four. They also they? traded uh the pick to become 
became Franz Wagner and that pick you're talking about for Vucevic. Yes. Uh, so unless you're going to turn around and get a lot back for Vucevic, <laughs> which you're not, uh, yeah, they're in a, a worse spot. The Raptors are in a bad spot because like the middle is the hardest place to pick a direction from. The Raptors are not in a bad spot the way the Hawks are where there's front office turmoil and, and the coach and the star don't get along. And they're not in a bad place the way the Bulls are where they've already cashed in all the chips. They're in a fine position asset-wise. It's just for this year... You got to pick one or the other, and no. one of those directions require you to start stacking wins now it's not if gonna that's the direction you're going to pick. Yeah, and the underlying numbers would not indicate that that's a smart way to go. Um, yeah, I, I think, it, like I said, you're already in this position playing uh, all the, the good players that you have and everybody relatively healthy right now. All you, it takes is like your best three-point shooter, if you just subtract him from the team, if it's Gary Trent Jr., and I think it'll be more than that, that you're subtracting the trade deadline. I know you can't just manufacture the trade market right now, right? You have to get... As, there as could quickly. be a first mover advantage, though. That's a real thing. Like, we're, we're close enough now. January 15th yesterday is kind of the unofficial start. I know everyone says December 15th. We rarely see moves before the January 15th date, which mm-hmm. is, you know, as of January 15th, any contract has either become guaranteed or been waived by now. You can sign 10 days and stuff to fill out roster spots. If you do a three for one trade, um, everyone who is going to be eligible to be traded this year is now eligible to be traded. So like everyone, but LeBron um, anyway, yeah, it's trade season. 100%. And I'm going to have a bunch of columns coming up at sportsnet.ca in the coming Ooh. days and weeks. Yeah. So get your bad trade ideas ready. Okay. Can't, can't wait for that. Uh, that's upcoming. Sports Let's talk about an actual good team. All right. Uh, in one second, please. Sorry. Uh, the Toronto Boat Show is returning to Entercare Center for its 65th anniversary, January 20th to the 29th. We've been giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Pinecraft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and a one-night stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Took my wife there for her birthday once. Uh, Today's code word is boating. You look it up if you don't know how to spell it. Uh, This is our last code word of this contest, so be sure to text boating to 590-590 for your chance to win. And as you mentioned, speaking of teams with a chance to win... Your Toronto Blue Jays, who won 92 games a season ago. I know you're Mr. Segway King, but how'd I do on that one? Uh, it's good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Sick now, wife brag, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sick someone I loves have... me enough to have decided to spend the rest of their life with me. Blake, you ever, go there, you ever go by there by yourself and, and just, like, hang out? Get room service for yourself? <laughs> I wouldn't. I, that's a fine little treat for yourself. I don't see why you would disparage it. I mean, yourself. hey, I wouldn't do it as like a, a vacation event thing like that. I mean, I did go to Cuba by myself. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, getting the, the solo hotel experience was like, that's a big part of being a beat writer and traveling yeah, all the time. Dude. It's like, hey, I'm going to look up a, a, brewer, a local brewery, <sighs> a local like small ownership coffee shop and a local like public library or whatever. And I'm going to bounce between them and do some work at each one. That's, you know, that's, that's the life. This is a bad way to start um, a thought, but I love my wife and I love my kids, but holy cow, like the idea of getting away for a day or two by myself in a hotel room sounds absolutely delightful. My birthday is coming up next month actually i should tell my wife that that's so what you're I gonna want. ask me to get you a <laughs> no, night no. look i'll text in the code word <laughs> yeah, and if yeah. i win it you and your wife can have it no i said by myself Okay, well, well I'll Is give it, it to her to give to you yeah. for your birthday. I don't know. I'll be honest. If I win that, I'm giving. I'm asking Brandon Belt to. He can oh. have the hotel part on his own. I have a place in Toronto, but the actual boat show part, 
Take a Brandon Belt. Oh, uh, you're you're trying to re- you're trying to regain the the Segway belt. No. Uh, yeah, well, that was if you weren't, you did a good job subtly. No, I was actually going to take us back to the previous topic, which I realize is a no-no, but uh our pal JR Monotide um who produces uh, do it anyway. a bunch of Raptor stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> got the quote for us from Fred on that foul. What is it? He said, I was just trying Whoops. to make sure we got the last shot. We're going to leave it at that. Scotty saved me. What? Came oh, up God. with a big play yeah. and made the free throw. That was a boneheaded play. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. All right. So the first part was in jest, I think. Like, make sure we get the last I shot. I think he was saying, like, <laughs> yeah, they, that was him making fun of himself a little bit. All right. That's cool. Uh, good on him. Uh, the season hasn't gone his way and perhaps the, the waning stages of his Raptors career, but here's the segue. What? So Fred, no, Van- I, I wanted to have uh, the belt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors fan base right now seem to have a very different idea of what his value is mm. on his next contract or right now. Uh, you know who else mm. have a very different idea of what their value is? Uh, Boba Shed and the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, they do, and they're uh, they're so Bobichet is going to go to arbitration unless I suppose there's some multi-year deal figured mm-hmm. out because the Blue Jays are this uh, file and uh, file trial. And trial. Yeah, it sounds devastating. Um, yeah, okay, whatever. Where if they exchange numbers, they they end up going to an arbitration hearing, and it's not the end of the world, right? Obviously, but I think it pretty clearly indicates, as has everything throughout Bobichet's entire career, indicate that this guy wants to maximize his earning potential throughout the course of his entire career. And if you were do, if you were a wagering person, which we all are in 2023, and you had to choose one of Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in which you think uh, is going to sign a long-term extension with the Toronto Blue Jays, I mean, you'd get massive odds against Bo Bichette, I think, right now. Because it feels like maybe that guy doesn't, go into free agency full bore, but it, it it certainly feels that way. And if you're going to keep them away from free agency, it's going to take something monumental. This guy doesn't seem like he's taking a discount for anybody. No, he also, the amount he filed for would be one of the highest ARB one years. Yeah, but he's also, he's led the American League in hits the last two years, now the defense, and he plays a premium position. The defense has not been the, the greatest, but there are, like, metrics to use in which he's at the top of the list uh, or near to it in a lot of statistical categories among shortstops over the last couple of years. Yes, uh, although I am i can't exactly remember. I know there's a line, like, it, it, what, which stats you're allowed to use in making your arbitration case. RBIs and runs are like, they're in there. I know. And him leading the league in hits multiple times and being a borderline 300 hitter at shortstop. Like, the the thing is, is that arbitration is based a lot. You're making your case a lot based on comps. And if there aren't other guys who have gotten that amount or like or that amount plus inflation, it can be difficult to you know, argue, hey, I should get more than anyone. Like, I should break the market. Yeah. I'm the market breaker guy. Uh, forget, you know, whoever else. Forget Trey Turner or whatever. And this is the other thing is when teams and players come to uh, agreements outside of the arbitration system, that affects this too, right? Like like Vlad's $14.5 million is now going to affect the next first baseman who comes up and is in ARB 2 or ARB yeah. 1 Super 2, however you want to call Vlad's situation. Um, so, yeah. It's a it's a going to be an interesting one to watch. I talked I, I talked to a few people around the league who thought that Bose camp maybe overshot it at seven point five million. 
the Jays at five million, you know, that's that's a little closer to what his projection was. But you were past the point where you you can't just do the middle ground yeah. anymore, and it's it's irrelevant. Like the the the, the fan at home doesn't necessarily care and and shouldn't uh, and it's interesting like the fan should the fan again not to tell anyone how to be a fan but the fan should only care as far as we assume these teams even if there's not a salary cap work under fixed budgets right and it shouldn't be oh i want to save ownership two and a half million dollars it should be that's two and a half million dollars that if the blue jays win that arbitration case could theoretically be used on Another reliever well, and, or a seventh starter for AAA or whatever. It impacts his arbitration award yes, in subsequent year, years. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, yes. it's, it's important it is all. It is, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But I think, the, to me, the most interesting thing is the relationship between he and the team. The relationship between him and any team. Like, I don't think it would be any different if he was drafted by, I don't know, the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I really don't. But I don't think that this guy, unless you come to him with your hat in hand, I mean, maybe not quite to that extreme, but you say, we want to make you the highest paid shortstop in Major League Baseball today. Would you like to sign this extension? Anything short of that, I don't think he's signed an extension with the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think so right now anyway. And like, there's a clear, this goes back to last year when he rejected the yeah, the pre-arb raise, right. which is like, you can roll your eyes at it because it only ends up being, you know, tw- a difference of 20K or whatever for a guy who but is a going guy to make. turn down 20K? I know. Though. For a guy who is going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at some point. But it's something to watch because Manoa also turned it down last yeah. year and he's got another pre-arb season here. Mm-hmm. I don't. There, there's just. There's a pattern of Bo and the Jays being far apart on what his value is and Bo being willing to fight for the extra dollars, which is. Cool. That's what the system is there for. That's Bo's right as a as a worker. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see what that dynamic is like, and, and like what that dynamic is like if Bo wins, because I think that further fractures, or not fractures, but that that sets a precedent of hey, my valuation of me was more accurate than your valuation of me, mm-hmm. which makes negotiations harder. Or you know, if the arbiter, if the arbitrator sides with the team, you know, what does that look like? Does Bo's expectation come down a little bit? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But uh, ultimately, yeah, it's it's not super meaningful, but it's indicative, I would say, of of something. Uh, maybe not a relationship between the player and the team, but just of the the player's modus operandi. All right, we got to talk about Brandon Bell because I've been mm-hmm. I've been away. You had him on the show. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, that's I. I Listen, who didn't like prime Brandon Belt, which is a couple of years ago, but... No, I a, meant like as a guest. No, I know. I, I understand that. I, and I said, yeah, he was, or he is, whatever I said. Um, but Brandon Belt used to be real good. Took a bunch of walks last year, but... Here's the thing. He was bad last year and was still league average at the plate. Yep. Couldn't because, stay healthy. Because he can Couldn't do, hit for power. Dude. Still a league average bat. And so that's... As your DH slash backup first baseman, the bar is higher than league average, but that was him like thinking about retirement level injured. Yep. Uh, and apparently feeling as best he has. All, he like took the excuses off the table. Said, feel 100%. And if I don't perform in 2023, it's because I suck. Yep. Not, not because I'm injured. He basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said if he didn't think he could get back to being awesome, he would have retired. Yep. Yep. Uh, so really like it. Uh, it's an interesting piece. Like I, I didn't anticipate DH first base uh, bench bat being the piece. but Not a left-handed hitting one. Uh, but and especially making north of nine million bucks but these are the type of luxury items that winning teams like this is a margin this is a a move in the margin that could be extremely useful like you could see late game scenario 
where Brandon Belt's pinch hitting for somebody. You can see lots of scenarios against right-handed starters in which he's playing in DH. You can get Vlad off his feet a little bit. Not mm-hmm. that there weren't first base options already on this team, but he is a first baseman. I don't ever expect, expect to see him in a corner because it's been a while since we've seen well, that. He also had the nickname Baby Giraffe when yes. he played the outfield. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's not go back down that path now that he's almost 35. I think it tells us a couple things too. I think after trading Gabby Moreno and not having a clear number three in AAA, I know there will be minor league deals and stuff like that. I think this tells us they're probably not going to be as aggressive with Alejandro Kirk getting DH days as well. Him and Danny Jansen might be a 3-2 split. Um, I, I think that it tells you there is a level of confidence in George Springer staying healthier as a full-time right fielder with Kevin Kiermaier and Dalton Varsho taking more of the outfield reps. I do think also... Look, if they're going to spend $9.3 million on Brandon Belt, who doesn't fit uh, an immediate hole, that need for, say, a fourth outfielder who could play, who could hit from the right side so that Whit Merrifield doesn't become an everyday outfielder if there's an injury? Yeah. I'd, I'd say that seems semi-realistic, too. No, they're into the luxury tax. It could be, or it seems to be, or at least very close. All right, last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, wild card weekend and a day wraps up tonight. Dallas Cowboys in Tampa to play the Buccaneers. Tom Brady's never lost to the Cowboys. Uh, he's 7-0 in his career. Dallas, uh, road favorites, three-point favorites, AFC championship game in Buffalo, or AFC divisional playoff game in Buffalo. It is the Bills, four-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bengals, and the Chiefs, eight-and-a-half-point favorites against our Jacksonville Jaguars. And that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Canada's Jaguars. Canada's Jaguars. Uh, the show's Jaguars. I've never had an NFL franchise that I cared about, but I, I do now. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon, and they're going to lose immediately. Huh. That wouldn't be your fault. That would yeah. be the Kansas City Chiefs' fault. <laughs> All right, we'll be back tomorrow. See ya.